Friends, if you have your Bible with you, it will be primarily in John chapter 1. As you see the verse on the screen before you today, that's been our theme verses throughout the uh, month of December, beginning late November as the Advent Sundays began. We took as our theme Christmas lights because Jesus, we're told, who came at Christmas was the light of the world. In John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, we read, In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In fact, that phrase, understood it, as I've mentioned before, can also be translated, darkness has not overcome the light of Christ. And it implies in that that the darkness is not just an absence of light, just a neutral state of being, but it's actually malevolent, that it's actively opposing the light. That's what's implied by the original languages. And so we have talked about the metaphor of light and dark throughout the Christmas season. We live in a hurting world, a broken world in many ways. And we in Canada, in the northern climes, we're experiencing short days and long nights. We're familiar with physical darkness, but the context of this theme verse is what we want to look at on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent. We want to look at Jesus, the light of life, the light of life. Well, we've talked about light in the context of Christmas and what it could mean. We look at the prophet shining light on what God was going to do in the coming of Christ and the giving of the Messiah. We talked about that as the light of understanding. And as you see the graphic before you reminding you of the Christmas star, we talked about how God guided the Magi, the guiding light, and how God through His Word and by His Spirit and through wise counsel of your brothers and sisters in Christ, God will still guide you today. The God who guided the Magi is the God who guides us today. His Word is a lamp to our feet. It shines light and guides us. Well, last week we were blessed to have the kids with us. And uh, they've been absent from the sanctuary so long through the COVID season. And it was just wonderful to have them sharing the Christmas story. They brought such joy to our hearts. And we talked about God's light reminds us of the joy of Christmas. Uh, the light that shines in the hearts of God's people. But today we see where all of that goodness, all of that light is rooted in, in Jesus Himself the light of life. As I mentioned, I want you to keep your Bible open to the Gospel of John chapter 1. The first point we want to look at in these key verses in John chapter 1, his version of the Christmas story is not rooted in the historical events that happened, but the meaning of those first Christmas events. Some call that the cosmic Christmas because we see the eternal Christ incarnated into creation and John puts it so beautifully. The first point we will look at this morning is that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. The Bible reveals that we worship one God. But that one God is existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now this became came into focus for me this week as my research assistant. You don't realize these sermons don't just come out of anywhere. I have people who, 
who work hard, they research. Well, actually, it's just my wife. My wife, she does a lot of the work. A lot of my, my good ideas actually come from her. And she pointed out to me, she says, I've read an article recently in Christianity Today that people aren't celebrating Jesus at Christmas time as, as pre-existent. And the article pointed out the studies show that the vast majority of people in North America, including up to half or more, especially of young evangelical people, believe that Jesus didn't exist before Bethlehem. That stopped me in my tracks. I said, don't they know the Bible? Don't they understand that the incarnation was the eternal God entering into his creation? in the person of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. So I looked up the article. It says the Trinitarian Jesus is being banished from Christmas. They're even dropping verses from the old Christmas carols that speak of the incarnate Word, the eternal Word of God being born into Bethlehem. That just doesn't track with modern theology. So we're leaving the orthodox understanding of Jesus. In fact, many calling themselves evangelical hold a heretical view of Jesus and his person. So Jesus, John chapter 1, spells out clearly is the eternal word of God, the Logos. God the Father, he decided to create. And as he spoke the word, Jesus, the Son, was the active participant in creation. That's clear from John chapter 1. We begin in the first two verses of John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. The Alpha and the Omega. He existed before time. Jesus is eternal God. Jesus is is the active person of creation. We see that in a number of places throughout the New Testament. Continuing in John chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. We often think of the Father as the Creator in the economy of the Trinity, what we understand from Scripture. And it was he who decided it was his motive. But Jesus carried out the father's desire as he lived and said again and again during his earthly ministry, I live to carry out the will of my father. So he did in creation. Nothing was made except that which was made through Jesus, the creator, the eternal creator. Throughout church history, from time to time, people have tried to reject Jesus as fully God as well as fully human. The story of the incarnation at Christmas time. During the third and fourth century, there was a particularly strong movement of false teaching uh, led by a, a teacher called Arius. His movement was called the Arian Movement. They believed that Jesus became a son of God, but after his birth, he didn't exist co-equal with God. He was subordinate to God the Father. And as a result of that, the early church came together and they put the teaching of Scripture into creedal form. They said, this is what it means to believe, be a Bible-believing, orthodox believer. 
They did that in the town of Nicene in modern-day Turkey, and we call that the Nicene-Constantinople Creed. The Nicene Creed begins, I believe in God. It skips down to the portion that speaks of the person of Christ. I have it on the screen for you. That says, we believe on the screen. It's coming, unless it froze. I will read it for you. The Nicene Creed says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all time, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence as the Father through whom all things came into being, who for us men and because of our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became human. <laughs> That's the Christmas story. The eternal God incarnate in flesh through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary becomes human. He doesn't become any less God, though He laid His glory by and He entered into the experience of humanity. The Creator entered into creation. Well, why do I spend time on that? Well, it's because the Bible teaches it in John, but also because as we saw from the Nicene Creed, light of light, God is truth, God is love, God is light and life. And Jesus brings the light and life of God into this hurting world. Did I leave that slide out altogether? It's on mine at home. I must not have saved after I put that in. Sorry about that. I just wanted to make Lance look silly, but in return, it bounced right back onto me. So Jesus is light in the darkness. As he came into this hurting world, he brought the light and life, the light that was present in the dawn of creation, the light that was there in the garden of Eden as Adam and Eve knew God and walked with him in the cool of the day. The Gospel of John, the letters of John, use that picture of light and darkness more than anyone else in Scripture again and again. Light equates to life, to truth, to goodness, to joy. Darkness is the metaphor for the brokenness that we experience through sin and death. This valley of the shadow of death, that's a dark picture. This veil of tears, that's darkness. I want to look at what Scripture says that darkness, we think of various forms of darkness that Jesus, the light, came to vanquish. One, for instance, is intellectual darkness. The light of the manger, Jesus coming to the world. Well, this world, as we still do, we struggle with intellectual darkness, ignorance. Some of that ignorance is from just not knowing and some of it is willful. We choose to believe things that are not true. Intellectual darkness. In regards to that, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we think of the world's wisdom. Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. He says, don't boast about it. Human wisdom is foolishness in God's sight. 
Don't build your life on that shaky foundation. For we live in a time of intellectual darkness. I think we see with the internet linking mankind together through our computers, through our phones, a massively powerful computer we carry in our pockets. Instead of growing a new Tower of Babel where the intellect of man becomes preeminent, it's as if we've multiplied our ignorance instead of our intelligence. Intellectual darkness. Well, that's thinking, but what about feeling? We're all familiar with emotional darkness. Those dark feelings of depression, of grief, of fear, of anxiety that eat away at the soul in the dark of the night. When we see somebody who's suffering emotionally, we say, that's a dark time. One of the people, one of the great leaders in the last century, Winston Churchill, struggled throughout his life with clinical depression. And we know that's not just an emotional, even psychological problem. Many serious clinical depressions have physical causes as well. We're, we're one being, body, soul, spirit. We're all tied together. Churchill called his, his depression that came upon him throughout his life, he called it a black dog that would overtake him from time to time and lay him low. He would be useless when he was in the grips of that emotional darkness. From grief and loss, we're familiar with it. This world is a hurting world, not only broken by sin, but hurting. Psalm 35 puts it so well as the psalmist speaks. I went about mourning as though my friend or brother, as for my friend or brother, I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. We've all been there. We know about it. And as Jesus entered into this emotionally dark and hurting world, He too bore our afflictions. He wept. He tracked with us. The suffering servant, we're told, was a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. Jesus, one of the reasons He wanted us to see Him in human flesh is so that we would know that He experienced the same pain and suffering that that we go through. He walks with us. He's not a shepherd that is unaware of what the sheep experience. He's the good shepherd who's with us every step of the way. Well, this world, much of the pain we experience is because of moral darkness as well. That horrific picture of bones and skulls, that's, a, that's an outdoor memorial in Cambodia. For a brief time, Cambodia back in the early 70s was called Kampuchea because it was taken over by a rebel group called the Khmer Rouge led by madmen such as Pol Pot. They had a particularly virulent ideology, an extreme form of communism that wanted to destroy the upper classes. Anyone educated, anyone intellectual, they killed them. They killed the doctors. They killed the businessmen. They killed everyone who had lived in cities. That small country, by the time they were overthrown, the Khmer Rouge had killed two and a half million people for no reason. We don't have to look far throughout history to see these massive breaches of humanity, the moral bankruptcy of the human heart on display again and again. Every time we try to say that mankind is getting better and better, 
this is thrown in our face. This thing in the 1970s, well, we know that genocide, that's something that's a modern thing. We do it so well on such large scales for ideological reasons. We think of Joseph Stalin starving the Ukraine in 1932 to break the back of Ukrainian independence. He starved 4 million people. 13% of the population died as he withheld food from them. Mao Zedong, in many of our lifetimes, between 1958 and 1962, the second five-year plan the Communist Party called it, that great leap forward, caused the greatest famine in human history. Minimum 15, possibly 55 million Chinese people starved to death. Unbelievable. But it happens again and again. In Rwanda, for tribal reasons. In Bosnia-Herzegovina, for religious reasons. The Holocaust, it goes on and on. But friends, that moral bankruptcy is not the purview of dictators and tyrants. The smallest white lie that you say without thinking. You justify it. It's to spare someone's feelings or this or that. It just, every day, we see that we all have moral darkness in our core. Why is that? What is wrong with us? We don't see it anywhere else in creation. You don't see the animal kingdom uh, premeditating murder and so forth. They act instinctively, but there's no malice aforethought. That's just us. Well, friends, it's all because of spiritual darkness. John 13 of the moral darkness, John chapter 3, I don't want to skip over that. Jesus himself, he passed verdict on it. He called it darkness. In the same meeting with Nicodemus who came by night, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Jesus passed judgment on us. Guilty. We love the darkness. The darkness of our hearts. And it's because of spiritual brokenness. Spiritual darkness is the root of all of our problems. Physical, emotional, sociological. It goes on and on. It stems from spiritual darkness. There are people, the Bible says, they can't understand God's truth. They're blind to it. The God of this age has blinded them. That terrible picture I have before you, I apologize for it. A Bible in a garbage can, but it speaks of a truth that I've, I've heard firsthand. One of my friends in the years I taught in Russia at our Bible school was my interpreter. He was a rough, big, burly Russian bear. His name was Yevgeny. And if you know Russians, they always have a, they always have a nickname, a shortened name. Sasha, Pasha, goes on and on. If you're Yevgeny, your short name is Zhenya. And Zhenya was a wonderful brother in Christ. He was gentle-hearted. He led a drug and alcohol rehabilitation programs. He had incredible ministry. He was a great preacher and man of God. Once I asked him about his upbringing, his life, did you grow up in a parsonage? Were you a pastor's kid? Did you see your dad suffer under the communist? And he just kind of laughed. He says, no, I was, 
I was orphaned at five years old. I had nowhere to go, so I lived in a tunnel under the Moscow train station. There's subterranean passages that there's this godless, lawless, uh, subterranean society where only the strong survive. He said, I joined a gang. And I'm big, strong Russian, so I began to lead the gang. And we robbed the food from the others. And eventually, as he grew into manhood, he became a gangster. <laughs> His gang specialized in bank robberies across Russia and into the republics. And they were on the losing end of a shootout with police in Kazakhstan. And he was one of the few survivors of his gang and he ended up in prison. And at 20 years old, he was sentenced to 23 years hard labor in a Kazakhstan prison. And he thought his life was over. And he decided he was going to make something of himself. He'd learned to read somewhere along the way, so he wanted to educate himself. He, he became a voracious reader. And on his cell block was a man who had a very different upbringing. He'd grown up in a Christian home. And yet... That's no guarantee that the mother and father's faith is going to be passed on to the children. They taught their son. They prayed for their son. But their son never seemed to understand. He was blind to it. And he led a very different life from them. He too wound up in a prison in Kazakhstan. And Genya said one day, and it was rare that any of them ever had a visitor. Many of them were ethnic Russians in a foreign country. One day he had a visitor a pastor had traveled far on behalf of the parents to speak to him. And they spoke to that young man and the pastor gave him a Bible. And after the prisoner had that visit, he came back on Genya's cell block. Genya said he was swearing to high heaven. He said this was nonsense. The man was a fool. And he took the Bible that had been given him. He tore it in half and threw it in the garbage. And when he went back into his cell, Genya looked both ways so nobody would see him do it. And he ran out and he took that book. He didn't know what that book was. He just knew it was a book. And he took it to his cell and he hid it under his bed and he, he pieced it back together. And it was a book he'd never heard of, this Bible. And he began to read it. And he said he didn't understand it at first. Beginning in Genesis and reading Revelation, God opened his eyes. No through no doing of his own, God's Spirit opened his eyes and he understood. And he got on his knees and he accepted Jesus. <laughs> and miraculously, he was released from prison after two years. The Kazakhstanis wanted to empty their prison, so they drove him to the border and they threw him out of the country and said, never come back. And he walked across a good portion of Russia and finally found a church. And to this day, He serves God. It's amazing when God shines light in the midst of spiritual darkness. Again, in 1 Corinthians, as the Apostle Paul writes, this time in chapter 2, Paul says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. God has to give that insight. He has to shine that light. None of us would have that light apart from God's 
doing him, God doing it himself. It was his idea. It's his action. He's the one that takes the initiative. It was God's initiative, God's love that sent the light when he sent Jesus incarnate that first Christmas. Once again, this puts it all into context, our theme first, first our Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In Him, in Jesus, in the Word, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. They couldn't. And they couldn't overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. The light shining in the darkness. And that light, friends, simply put, is the light of life. Jesus is the light of life. He is the life bringer. He is the Savior. Jesus, taking the, the divine name upon Himself, the great I Am, Jesus speaking at the great festival in Jerusalem, when Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's the light of life. If you put your faith in Him and become His follower, He said you will never be in darkness. And look at all those forms of darkness that we experience and take for granted living in this broken world every day. Jesus promised deliverance from that in all aspects. Can you imagine? Even emotional darkness, Jesus who wept in this world, one day we will live in the light and Jesus will wipe away the very last tear. There'll be no more sadness or mourning for death. The sin that caused it will be cast away forever. Jesus says He is the light of the world, but He was only in this world for a little over 30 years. He came. He obeyed His Father. He won our salvation on the cross and then He ascended to the Father's right hand. I believe He's looking forward to that time. He was preparing His followers for His departure, going back to His Father. He speaks something about that in John chapter 9. This is following Jesus' healing of the man born blind. And his disciples were wondering about that. They said, well, who sinned? Was it that man sinned that he was born blind? But he was born. Did his parents sin? He couldn't have sinned. And Jesus said, no, it wasn't like that at all. In verse 3 of John 9, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, or said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is today, as long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus knew that dark night was coming. The suffering in Gethsemane. The scattering of the disciples. Within the light breaks out fresh and new on Easter morning. And it's spread like flames over the heads of the disciples on Pentecost Sunday. Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And friends, we know that He's speaking of the light of life. He's speaking of salvation. And whether you have the light dwelling in your heart today depends on whether you know Him personally as your Savior. Romans 10, Paul puts it so clear. He says, it's a free gift of grace. 
And it comes to you through faith in Jesus. Beginning in verse 8, but what does it say? The Word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith we're proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will have the light of life. And having that life, that light within us, God now desires you to shine His light. Jesus is at the Father's right hand interceding for His people and now He desires you to be the light in this hurting world. He wants you to go light your world. Take the bushel basket off the light of Christ in your life. Whatever is holding back that light from shining, remove it. Take it away. Lift up Jesus in our attitudes and our actions in the love of Christ that we share in this hurting world. The Apostle Paul, speaking again of light, but in 1 John rather than the Gospel of John, he says, this is the message we've heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. When you walk in faith, when you walk near to Jesus, walking in the light, you have fellowship not only with the Lord Himself, but with your brothers and sisters in Christ, for we are in the light. Not living selfish lives, not putting ourselves first. That's acts of darkness, but walking with Him. We're blessed in so many ways as we live in Christ and walk in the light. And one of the ways is to shine His light in the darkness. That puts into perspective what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that familiar passage from Matthew 5. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Us? Well, actually, it's His light in us. We understand that. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, they won't be praising you because they'll know where that light comes from because you'll share that with them. Say, this isn't of us. This love we share. We're recipients as well. We're humbled by it. We're saved by it. And we have the joy of sharing it with you. Friends, what more appropriate time to share the light of God's love than Christmas? In the dark night, the beautiful light shine. The contrast is amazing. Let there be contrast in your life as well between the darkness and the light of Jesus in your hearts. As the worship team joins me back on the platform, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Jesus, the eternal Son, only begotten. Lord, He came through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary to be incarnate, to become not only fully God, but fully human, the light in this dark world. 
Lord, we thank You that through faith in Jesus, we too may walk in the light. And Lord, we thank You for the ministry of love that You have given us to share with a dark and hurting world. That ministry of reconciliation, that ministry of grace. Lord, help us to be gracious people, loving people. And Lord, shine Your light in all the dark corners of this world. This is our prayer, Lord. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.